0: There is no formula, but we all believe based on conventional cultural notions that there is a formula. There is an agenda for children's happiness and thriving in the world, you know, whatever you know the basics are, get good grades, get into a good college, find the right partner, make a lot of money. you know that's a very conventional path. It certainly works for some people. But there are so many ways to go about finding your happiness and happiness also need not be our goal. So I tell parents, the goal to teach your, in terms of what I wanted my children to understand is that life is not just about seeking and searching and running after happiness, but it's about creating meaning in life through all of the experiences that come at us, including the painful ones, which we can't stop but we can certainly learn how to navigate.
1: Hi, I'm Sandy Fowler, and you're listening to Mighty Parenting, a podcast where we explore parenting in a way that helps us and our kids find more happiness and fosters emotional wellness, even while solving problems with our teens and young adults. We learn through advice and stories from experts and other parents, and I'm so glad you've joined us. So welcome to Mighty Parenting, where we have real, raw, and relevant talk about raising teens and parenting young adults in today's world. We talk a lot about communication at Mighty Parenting, our experts, myself, the communications email series that we share with you. And one of the keys to communicating well with our teens is to not be stressed, because when we're stressed, we knee jerk, we jump in, we say things that we don't mean to say. And as I'm talking to parents, you guys are telling me that you don't have time for stress relief. So I've created a complimentary lesson for you that requires no time. Yes, you will have to listen to the audio, so it's going to take you a few minutes to do that. But the strategies I share with you don't require you to spend any more time on them. So pop over to sandyfowler.com forward slash no time and learn how you can start relieving your stress and feeling better today. Our conversation today is with Ellen Gottlieb. Ellen is an attorney and a certified conscious parenting coach. She coaches parents and individuals, teaching them how to live a more mindful and joyful life. Ellen recently published her new book, How to Raise a Parent, Becoming a Conscious Parent in an Unconscious World. And today, she is going to come from that perspective, talking to us about boundaries. Ellen, welcome to Mighty Parenting. Well, thank
0: you, Sandy. I'm so happy to be here. It's really a pleasure. I've been looking forward to this conversation.
1: Me too. I I enjoy what you're doing. I appreciate what you're putting out into the world. And I am very excited about this boundary conversation because it causes so many problems. And I think you have, in particular, uh, just such a an interesting and helpful view on boundaries. So let's, let's kind of go to the beginning. Let's start with telling us how, what you think of a boundary, you know, what that is. And I know you talk about essential and non-essential boundaries. So maybe you can just enlighten us a little bit on where we're starting from.
0: Certainly. I'd be my pleasure to do so. So Let me start by saying that in my estimation, the two most critical pillars of parenting a child of any age, and especially a teenager, in a mindful way are connection and boundaries. So before we begin to implement boundaries, we have to have a deep connection. And most people say I'm connected, but sometimes don't realize that their connections are transactional and conditional. So The first key pillar is is connection and a deep connection, which stems from listening without judgment and criticism and blame. And then the next pillar, which is equally as important, is that of boundaries. And of course, it's necessary all through our parenting, but we have to be very careful that we don't mix up boundaries which have consequences and punishment. So the language that we use is important and the definitions are important. You know, because I'm not talking about punishment. Punishment, which is obviously punitive in nature, seeks to control, whereas a boundary with a consequence seeks to teach.
1: Mm, that I so love that that wording around them, because I, whenever I personally think about boundaries, I. I just never thought of it in terms of rules and discipline and punishment. It to me was more about knowing who I am and what I want and need in the world and being willing to show up in that space and not beyond that space. And then in parenting, for me, that kind of pulls into, okay, what do I really want for my kids? And how do I need to show up for them so they can be who they're meant to be in the world? Correct. You know, you
0: hit the nail on the head because before we can begin to implement any boundaries, you said, how can I show up? And that's why my book is called How to Raise the Parent. We must raise ourselves first. So what we need to do, especially with our teenagers who can trigger us like no one else can, right? Because- (laughs) Right, these are years of turmoil. And I try to teach parents how to go from turmoil to tranquility and how to actually enjoy these years. They can be beautiful years with your children. But the key first is for the parent to look inward and start to understand and deconstruct their own belief systems. Because it's their belief systems, whether they're aware of them or they're unaware, like an unconscious belief system, they tend to be guiding the ship and how they navigate things with their children. So, before we begin to create these boundaries, we need to look inward and say, What is my purpose? Who am I serving? That's the key to a boundary that works. Who am I serving? And, you know, what is my intention?
1: So, talk to me about that. What is my purpose? Who am I serving? These are things I hear people talk about in classes and workshops, but they're in terms of more like who we as a human being want to be out in the world. And here we're talking specifically about parenting. How do these questions apply to us as parents?
0: They apply critically because we need to understand what our goals are. So when we're implementing essential rules and some of the essential boundaries are universal. You know, that, that's a little easier, right? We're obviously responsible for our children's safety, their education. Uh, we'd like children who are are respectful of themselves and others. Like these are the universal boundaries, proper nutrition, sleep. And then there are the non-essential softer boundaries, which really have to be thought about. And that could be screen time, although screen time could be essential in one family and less essential in another So we need to understand why it's the why we're doing things. And we can't understand the why until we look inward and understand what we are trying to accomplish. So are we trying to raise a child who meets our egoic agenda? Am I looking for a child or I should say to raise the child who is academically very capable and achieves, who's a great athlete, who has you know a lot of friends and is most popular you know we have so many wants as as parents and we dump those wants onto our children and then we create boundaries that we think are appropriate but they're actually asserting a lot of pressure on our children
1: mhm ellen if you are okay going there when we talked before the podcast you mentioned that this was part of your journey as a parent that this was not something that just Came naturally to you that you had to work at doing this yourself. Could you share a little bit about your story there?
0: Yeah, I'd be happy to. I have two daughters who were in their 20s, 26 and 28. And it became clear to me that the agenda that had been imposed on me, I was unconsciously imposing on my children, right? I had a lot of wants, right? And I tell people to get what you want, you better stop wanting it. And that doesn't mean you don't work for it, you just have to release. The desire to shape outcomes and i needed to do this with my own daughters i needed to let go and let them be and the only way to do that is to notice your fear all of our need for control which is often expressed through boundaries stems from our own fears and we don't even see our fears fears masquerade as many different things mostly as excuses you know well my child had better get good grades so they'll get into the right college and it's important for my child to be popular and have a lot of friends because otherwise they won't have fun and we make up ideas and values that we impose on our kids and so for me This work was really hard. This is hard work. This is the hardest work you'll ever do because it is all about us as the parent. We need to understand our own internal emotional landscape. So when someone says to me, what is your basic definition of a conscious parent? For me, that's the parent who has looked inward and understood and cleared up their own emotional landscape so they don't dump it on the next generation. So I had to literally get out of my daughter's way as much as I could, especially in terms of like they're deciding on their career paths, which we had a moment to speak about. Um, I come from a family that happened to be a lot of lawyers in my family. I was told to go to law school. I did what I was told. Much later in life, I found that my troop calling and path is conscious parenting. But I feel grateful for both careers and I'm I'm practicing both, which is really a great privilege. But, you know, my daughters were clear that wasn't their path, you know, and I came to see that that's fine. And they didn't know what their paths were for a long time. And that was also okay. You need to get comfortable in the discomfort of not always knowing. And then they went and found what what moved them. So, and I will be happy to share that my older daughter, uh, after four years of college, went to five years of seminary at rabbinical school and is now a rabbi, and my younger daughter is just graduating with a master's in teaching American Sign Language, and will be pursuing both teaching and perhaps even interpretation, as she's fluent in sign. Uh, has the best hearing of anyone I know, and loves sign language and all about Deaf culture. So I could never have imagined these career paths, but nor was it my job to imagine these career paths. So the the work was for me to get out of their way. That's I guess my my point here
1: well you've brought up two things that i think go hand in hand and i've said before that fear creates so many bad parenting moments it drives us in our worst decisions and you talked about the fear and also that discomfort of uh not knowing that we're so uncomfortable with the idea of not knowing not having the answers not just being able to tell our kids okay if you do this and this you'll be happy and your life will be good. And the fact is we have no idea if that's true. They could have a very difficult path. I have a friend whose son was hospitalized for suicide ideation and addiction, and it was horrible for a few years. And then he came out the other end of that, the most amazing young man. And I we were talking one day and I said, Your son is more mature, adult, together, understands himself and his life and what he wants and happier than I think any other person I know of any age. But it was going through all that horrible thing that we would have never, ever wished for our child that got him there. I mean, and not, it's not that we still say, oh, we're glad you went through that. No, but it's just the idea that, you know, we don't know. We don't know exactly what their path is meant to be. We don't know how things are going to turn out for them. So when you are working with parents and You know that we have all this fear. All we want is for our kids to be safe and happy and healthy and, you know, feeling like they have purpose in the world is a big part of that, but wanting that, being afraid for them and having that discomfort is a big issue for us. So what, like, what do you see us doing in a, in a practical sense? Like what specific behaviors or activities do you see us doing, that come out of that that fear and that discomfort. Hmm.
0: Interesting. Um well what you pointed out is that in your friend's son's pain was was his that was his arena for growth. Now I'm not mm-hmm. promoting by any means that kind of trauma that he went through as the only way to grow. No, please, you know. Um But often people need to, I find with my clients who are adults, they get to me because of a very painful situation with a child. And it's in the pain that they're willing to release some of their, um, the matrix of control that they needed right, to learn. So pain is often the guide or the trigger for growth. So I'm not surprised to hear your friend's story. I'm delighted to hear that he was able to transform his pain into such wonderful growth that he could now look back. And, and he he really gets it. Um, but I think what you're also saying is there is no formula, but we all believe based on conventional cultural notions that there is a formula. There is an agenda for children's happiness and thriving in the world. You know, whatever you know the basics are, get good grades, get into a good college, find the right partner, make a lot of money. You know, that's a very conventional path. It certainly works for some people, but... Uh, There are so many ways to go about finding your happiness, and happiness also need not be our goal. So I tell parents, the goal to teach your in terms of what I wanted my children to understand is that life is not just about seeking and searching and running after happiness, but it's about creating meaning in life through all of the experiences that come at us, including the painful ones, which we can't stop but we can certainly learn how to navigate. So the work of conscious parenting is, as I said, it's about connection, which involves non-reactivity and certainly emotional regulation, which is what we're talking about now. That's why I brought it up. And then this concept of creating boundaries with your children, not just for them, but with them, especially with teenagers, we can talk about how to do that. But the basic premise is that we don't need to stick kids in a box and tell them there's only one way to find your way in this world.
1: Right. You mentioned before when we were chatting, you said one of the big mistakes we make is labeling our kids. Hmm. And and I think that ties in here in that we watch them, we assess them and they go, oh, you know, they're an extrovert or they're a numbers person or they're an artist. And then we start kind of pushing them down those paths. Or we fight those paths or we fight those paths. Yes. Especially the artist, right? We're,
0: we're all like, how are you going to feed yourself? <laughs> exactly. Oh, you, you're right. Exactly. You're an artist. Mm, you know, you're a singer. Really? Oh, you have a nice voice. But what are you going to do? What
1: are mm-hmm. you really
0: going to do? Right. So but there are other ways we label, too. We don't only label in, in terms of what they're good at. We label as lazy. We label as defiant. We label as unmotivated. We even label, and it's dangerous, as gifted. They suffer too, those gifted kids that we've labeled as so high, such high achievers. Um, we got to be careful because those labels are things to which kids live up to. You tell a kid they're lazy enough times, and guess what? You will have a lazy child. What we fear, we manifest. And we'd better be careful to give the child space to not be labeled in a particular way. Um, It's, it's, it's a tricky concept. It's a little different from the idea of boundaries, but it's a boundary for the parent actually.
1: So how you said, you know, if we're doing this, um, you know, we're not labeling we're building connection and then drawing boundaries and we're, we're drawing the, um, to look to see, you said that there are essential and non-essential boundaries. How does that play into this conscious parenting idea?
0: Sure. Well, first, once we have deep connection with our kids, they kind of know what we expect in terms of behavior. I'm not talking about culturally conventional expectations like big grades, but they know to expect them to be, you know, somewhat respectful and help around the house. And they know what their chores are, but they've been heard. You've heard them. You've allowed them to feel their feelings, so they're more willing because you're connected to a, to to you know work within your boundaries. So then you work with the child within the family. It's based on the kid's developmental age and stage, right? And you create these essential boundaries, and you make sure the kids know them. You know, so um, and for they can differ even essential ones. For some families, religion is an essential boundary. For others, it's not, right? Politics, political leanings, can be essential in one family and non-essential in another. So the family first has to figure out what are its values and how are we gonna implement those in a mindful way involving your children? Because the more buy-in you get from your kids, the more likely they are not to trespass on those boundaries, not to breach them. And with the less essential boundaries, it's even more important to A, question yourself, why am I implementing this rule? Let's take a simple one like no eating in front of the TV. How important is that, right? And why am I doing it? And who's the, am I compulsive that I can't have crumbs in that room? Or is it is it so critical? Or is it something I can like lighten up on and then involve your kids and give them input and give them a chance to say, hey, that curfew's too early for me. Can I have an extra 15 minutes? or 30 minutes and see if that works, right? See if they can then live up to that. So if you get your kids buy-in and you make rules, which are what boundaries are, they're limits that are reasonable that kids can follow and that kids understand are there to serve them and their safety. Your limits, your boundaries must be there to protect your children. They actually want boundaries. When you bother to make these boundaries and household rules, you're saying, I love you in a new way. When you do it as an authoritarian dictator, because I said so, now you've lost connection and now you've made kids angry. So it's the whole way that you choose to approach this big subject of boundaries that makes all the difference. And
1: I'm thinking through the conversation. take the curfew example. And the kid comes back and says, Hey, this curfew is too early for me. As an authoritarian parent, you would say, that's too bad. That's the curfew. Deal with it. In conscious parenting, you take boundaries and you have this discussion that you said. So tell me if this is what could, it could look like is really, you feel like that's too early why is that? What would work for you? What makes sense to you? And then be kind of going back and forth to see, but listening to them and going, well, if they say, well, I want to go to the school play and then we want to go out for ice cream afterward. And that would take an hour past curfew. Mm Mm-hmm. That's a time that we can look at it and go, well, I and, and maybe you're like, okay, that's fine. that makes sense to me. Maybe you have a reason that that is a concern for you, either from the time standpoint or people going out afterward or whatever. But then you can express your concern and say, I hear that. That sounds like something you would enjoy doing. And I'm concerned about fill in the blank. But it's this back and forth conversation. Is there a point at which as the parent, you can just also end up going, you know, like we've gone back and forth 532 times. Mm-hmm. I mean, is there a point at which you stop it? Is that, does that just get stopped when it's a matter of, uh, you talked about, you know, like safety, nutrition, some of those things that are, are really core areas. Are there times where we just say, I, I hear you and I understand that, but this is the rule or do we have to go back and forth till there's a resolution?
0: Right. I'm also a, a transformative mediator. So I get it, right? When, I, when we mediate, it is not to get an outcome. So it's sort of what you're saying to me is there is what's the final? You want to know that your, your, your listeners say, okay, give me the final answer here. So the first thing I'll say is there's no right and wrong to a conversation like that. The first thing is the parent needs to check in and make sure they're not operating out of fear remember fear triggers the need for control. So check in. What are you afraid of if your child stays out so late? Try to remember that something that's going to happen at 10.15 could also happen at 9.45, right? The clock is just the clock. So first you need to, to put your fear aside as much as you can. And then you start with the child just as you did. I hear you. You want to go out for ice cream after. Now, the last time you went out and I gave you this freedom, you might say to your child, you abused the privilege because you came in a half an hour beyond that. So how do we work this out this time so that doesn't happen? Because I want to trust you and I do trust you because trust is a key factor here with teenagers. If you trust them, they're more likely to live up to that trust.
1: I'm going to interrupt right. you for just a minute, Alan. Sure. So, and that trust comes from the time you were building the connection, right? Because yes. I'm sure we have parents who are listening and go, I don't trust them. Like that is a false assumption on your end. I do not trust this child okay. or, or even the thought of, I know what I did when I was a teenager. Exactly. Exactly. So
0: trust is an interesting, difficult conversation. Also, it's created through connection again, Right. Um, it's cre- they know when we're lying and they know when we're not authentic. And so, and we know when they're lying, but trust is something that has to be created. Right. And believe it or not, when, when kids really bypass, when they lie and they sneak and they cheat and they've breached our trust, I know this is going to be hard for your listeners to hear, but us parents, we've created the conditions for that behavior. In order to create trust, we must look at the conditions we are creating. You see, it all comes back to us. I know it's hard to hear,
1: but if your child- We heard every week, every week, we were reminded that it's about us. All the things that we tune in to hear, oh, my child has a behavior problem. Well, this is what you need to do. This is what we've done as parents. This is how, and and not to say that this is 100% on us. Every human being is here. I, when our kids were little, I had, I was having a conversation with a dad and he said, you do the best you can with the hand you're dealt, because there are some things that, you know, just are inherent in each of us as human beings, whether it's the hand that we are dealt as a parent, you know, like in us as a human being, or whether it's the hand in our child, but you know, we all do the best we can and we have to take responsibility for our own actions and perceptions. And as you said, this environment that we're creating.
0: Right. So we need to set conditions. Exactly. You got it. We do it through the connection and we do it through trust. You know, we trust them. And when they breach the trust the same way with rules, you can build, first of all, the natural consequences should be allowed to flow from a breach of an essential rule or, you know, let's take the example that the kids said they'd come home At five o'clock, they're begging after school to please go to a friend's house for two hours, promise they'll be home at five, have a ton of studying, a big test tomorrow, and shows back up at the house at eight o'clock, way too tired to do her homework or or study for her test. You wanna scream, right? She did this the last three times. You let her go again. She breached the rules. She came home three hours late. What do you do? Do you yell and scream? Well, not if you're conscious. If you're conscious, you look inward, you notice your frustration, you take pauses, you take breaths, you say it happened again. But the screaming isn't going to change it. The child now can't meet her obligations. You let her go into that test tomorrow unprepared and hopefully the lower grade and the discomfort to take a test for which you have not studied will be her motivator, will be her natural consequence. And parents say to me, but they've done it a hundred times and it never changes. Well, then you need to come back and set some new ground rules and talk about why this pattern has been created. Because it's likely that the pattern that's been created is from that inner child voice that she can't stop. So just yelling at her, isn't gonna make a change, right? Shift doesn't come from yelling and reacting from judging and criticizing. So it comes from awareness of a pattern but it's really hard because we have to step back and kind of let them fail a little bit and let them fall on their faces as long as they're doing it within the boundaries of safety. So you can't let them get in the car after drinking alcohol or with a drunk friend. You, it's simply something, it's a boundary that cannot ever be trespassed because of safety. But a missed homework or a test that's not studied for, well, maybe let them feel the discomfort. Of messing that up. And mm-hmm. then, then you go back and you say, hey, in a calmer moment, can we talk about your time management skills? Can I help you? Do you need a new planner? Um, the next time you come home and the girls are getting together, is there a way that you could do homework first? Um, you work on being creative and you engage the child in setting these boundaries
1: and stay connected. In It brings to mind some of the other conversations we've had when kids are having difficulty. Say in this case, because of this conversation, say having difficulty with their boundaries. And part of that can be because they don't have purpose. You said life isn't just about happiness. It's about creating purpose. And we forget that teenagers also need purpose. And when they're told you have to go to school, you have to do these chores. like There are all these things that do need to be done and they see no purpose in doing that then they may not care that they failed the test or or the class or whatever that situation is so then it's digging in even further and as you said looking at you know what's going on with this child what's this pattern what's the environment that's going on and getting to those questions of going oh okay well let's help them find purpose like what do you want to do when high school's over with mm-hmm. and and then helping them find resources and guiding them. So they're finding that purpose. And then that is what's going to drive their behavior in the now. Correct. Not even looking
0: ahead to what's after high school, but how can we create more purpose, more meaning in your life now? I get that those seven hours at school and most of those courses you're miserable at, but hey, you love music. Let me help you. How can we promote your love of music? Do you want to take a guitar lessons? Do you want what will make the child feel seen and heard? Because that's ultimately <laughs> what we're always trying to do. I see you, I hear you. Remember, you know, and I start a lot of my talks by saying there's two questions in this world that all of us as human beings spend our lives seeking the answers to. And the first is, do you hear me? And the second is, am I worthy? And do you see, hear me encompasses, do you hear me? Do you see me? Are you listening? And if you're willing to see me and hear me and listen to me and honor my choices and help me find my way and my purpose, I must be worthy. So this is how we create self-esteem. And when the child has self-esteem, they'll know how to dig in and find more purpose in their lives, even in the moment. You know, we don't even have to say, what are you going to do when you grow up? Maybe in 11th and 12th grade, you need to start looking ahead. There's no doubt. But in the earlier teen and tween years, it's how can, what moves you? And let me help you and promote that. Do you love art? Is there an art class you want to take? Don't force them to go to swim team when they love to be doing art, you know? And that's the thing. Can we tune into the child in front of us? Can we adore their ordinariness as well as their gifts? Can we love them for who they are and simply listen? Because that's what they want. They don't want to be fixed. When they're having a, let's say, an altercation with friends, especially the girls, when they get all tied up in, in, you know, especially with social media and all, can we just listen, not fix? Even when we're activated, our fear is triggered, our kid's been left out or, whatever, can we listen? And if we're willing to be silent and listen, then we'll know how to connect and we'll know how to create the boundaries that this particular child needs.
1: That was beautiful, Ellen. I so love this conversation. And so anyone who's listening, who's feeling the same way, they want to get your book or connect with you further, where can they find you?
0: Oh, I'd be delighted. Um, I have a website. So I'd be happy to give you that. It's Ellen at Enlightened Parenting. But the key is it's .co for coach, not .com. So it's Ellen at Enlightened Parenting, .co can reach me through the website. The book is on the website as well. And I get messages all the time and love to connect with parents. So uh, feel free to reach out and it would be my pleasure.
1: And of course, we'll have a link to the site in the show notes. So you don't have to keep it all in your mind now. Just come back to the show notes and click through. Ellen, thank you so much for for your time, for your thoughtfulness, and for doing all the work to pull all this together. <laughs> really amazing.
0: Well thank you. Thank you so much. It's really been a privilege for me. I I love this conversation. Um I love the work you're doing, Sandy. You are creating mighty parents, parents who feel strong and connected and and solid in their parenting. And those are the parents whose kids have the tools to
1: soar. So well done. Well thank you. And mighty parents, thank you for being here. Remember to share the podcast with another parent. That's how we get the word out. Also remember to grab your free gift at sandyfowler.com. I think actually you'll find it very supportive in what Ellen's asking you to do. So as you work through her book and her work, that would be a tool that will help support you in that calm. So you can, when you feel triggered, you can step out of that trigger. And thank you parents for joining us today, for being part of the Mighty Parenting community. Remember that you are a Mighty Parent, so you got this. And I will see you next week. Mighty parents, thank you for joining me for this episode of the Mighty Parenting Podcast. If you're ready for more, visit MightyParenting.com where you can get your free email series, How to Talk to Your Teen, with tips for communicating with your teen in a way that builds connection and communication. You can also get Mighty Parenting Plus so you can access our private podcast, which includes all the Mighty Parenting episodes, behind the scenes, guest highlights, and more. And of course, remember to share the podcast with another parent to support them on their parenting journey.